The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening, but depending on what you're doing right now, like for instance, if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing. You could be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts, discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to the weekend edition of The Daily Stoic. Each weekday, we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, something to help you live up to those four Stoic virtues of courage, justice, temperance, and wisdom. And then here on the weekend, we take a deeper dive into those same topics. We interview Stoic philosophers. We explore at length how these Stoic ideas can be applied to our actual lives and the challenging issues of our time. Here on the weekend, when you have a little bit more space, when things have slowed down, be sure to take some time to think, to go for a walk, to sit with your journal, and most importantly, to prepare for what the week ahead may bring. Hey, it's Ryan. Welcome to another weekend episode of the Daily Stoic Podcast. I'm gonna give you a little behind the scenes on today's episode. I was sitting down and I wanted to write about 300 Spartans, the story of the Spartans at Thermopylae, one of the most inspiring, epic moments in the history of, of Western civilization, R literally a clash of civilizations, the East and the West. And I don't know if we'd be sitting here talking today had those 300 Spartans not gone to what we call the hot gates uh, and fought for the Western way of life, the Greek way of life against the then tyrannical Persian way of life, the conqueror Xerxes, who wanted to subjugate Greece. Anyways, as I was thinking about telling that story, I was thinking about what I wanted my source material to be. And of course, Herodotus is one of the first places that we hear about the story, the 300 Spartans. And I went, I picked up my copy, and I hadn't touched it since probably 2006 when I first read it. And there it was, not just uh, all the all his beautiful retelling of the 300 Spartans, but there were the notes that I'd written to myself as I read it for the first time, uh, shortly after I graduated from high school and I was just starting college. And anyways, I felt this wonderful feeling that like I had 15 years earlier sent a message to myself in the future. I, of course, didn't know that I would be a writer. I certainly didn't know that I'd be writing this book at this time uh, about this story. But somehow there was then a part of me that sensed that, that there was something here that perhaps someday in the future I would need it. And to go back to it and, and be able to touch 
it was like having a conversation with the past and watching myself have a conversation with the future. I know this all sounds very weird, but it was a really cool experience to me. And that's what I love so much about writing is that it's this process. We talk about process, um, but that was the process playing out. I'd done work 15 years earlier with no sense of what it would add up to, where it would go, what it would contribute to. And then that boomerang comes back or that loop gets closed 15 years later in a chapter in a book I couldn't have even conceived of writing then, wouldn't have been qualified to write then, wouldn't have been capable of writing then. But that's what the process does. It builds on itself. It takes you somewhere day by day that you could never have expected or anticipated. But if you follow the process, if you trust the process, it gets you there. So today's episode, I wanted to give you one of my favorite sections in Courage is Calling. This is part three of the book. Uh, part one of the book is about overcoming fear. Part two of the book is about courage. Part three of the book is about heroism, the heroic. Courage and then some. Courage, selfless courage, sacrificial courage, right? The, the, the idea of valor, giving oneself, giving every part of oneself for something that someone believes in to protect someone else, protect a future, an idea, a cause, which is really what the Spartans were doing there at Thermopylae. So this is an audio excerpt of Courage is Calling, Fortune Favors the Brave, my new book, debut New York Times bestseller. Thank you to all of you who supported the book. If you haven't checked it out, you can get it at Amazon. You can get signed copies from me in the Daily Stoic store or here at my bookstore in Bastrop, Texas, The Painted Porch. You can also get the full audiobook anywhere audiobooks are sold. This audiobook excerpt was provided by my publisher, Penguin Random House Audio, and I'm excited to bring it to you. And I hope you could check out Courage is Calling, support the book, make a great gift. Uh, I think it's a very timely read. Very proud of it. Thank you to everyone who has supported the book. And again, if you haven't, check it out. Amazon, indie retailer, Barnes & Noble, Apple, Audible, wherever. Appreciate it. Going Beyond the Call the Greeks were not perfect, the Spartans least of all. But they were not bootlickers, and they were better than the tyrannical, insatiable king who bore down on them in 480 BC. Xerxes, the ruler of the enormous Persian Empire, sought subjugation and revenge. The Greeks had offended him, rebuffing his emissaries with insolence and foiling his father's invasion a decade before. And now, with an enormous army, he marched into Greece. Some Greek city-states saw the writing on the wall and surrendered. Some took large bribes to switch sides. The already shaking confederacy of Greek nations, from Sparta to Athens, Thebes, Argos, and Corinth, stood on the precipice of collapse, and with it rested the entire future of Western civilization, though they could not have fully known this in the moment. Would Xerxes conquer the West? Would an all-powerful king, worshipped as a god, stamp out the embers of freedom and equality? extinguishing a way of life we are fortunate enough to enjoy today. As the Allies struggled to come together, struggled to prepare, it was decided. A small army led by 300 Spartans and their ruler, Leonidas, would rush to Thermopylae, the hot gates, to hold back the Persians as long as they could. If they could make a strong stand, perhaps Greece could be inspired to fight on. 
They say that the barbarian has come near and is coming on while we are wasting time, Leonidas told his soldiers. Truth? Soon we shall either kill the barbarians or else we are bound to be killed ourselves. And so they marched, 300 of Spartan's most elite soldiers, to a man, each one the father of at least one living son, traversing some 250 miles to face perhaps the worst odds in the history of warfare. They picked up some reinforcements from a few neighboring states, but it is believed that between 5,000 and 7,000 Greeks eventually stood against a Persian force that some ancient historians have claimed numbered as many as one million men. Their only advantage, Thermopylae, a narrow coastal pass near the Aegean Sea, which would neutralize Xerxes' overwhelming strength. Also, unlike their invader, the Spartans were actually fighting for something. They were prepared to fight and die so that others might stay free. If you had any knowledge of the noble things of life, Leonidas told Xerxes, you would refrain from coveting others' possessions. But for me to die for Greece is better than to be the sole ruler over the people of my race. Of course, the insatiable conquerors of history have no understanding of such things. The very first thing Xerxes did was try to bribe the Spartans. It had worked on some of the weaker city-states, and it was certainly the kind of temptation that Xerxes would have lunged for had he been in the same position. Not Leonidas, not for a descendant of Hercules. To take the easy choice, to betray others for your own gain, to advance one's position but to do so through treachery, the Greeks have learned from their fathers to gain lands not by cowardice, but by valor, Leonidas replied. He chose virtue. He chose courage. This idea of valor, not just courage, but a commitment to something larger than themselves, was what convinced the Greeks this mission was even worth attempting. How could you possibly risk so few against that many? One ally asked Leonidas. If you men think that I rely on numbers, he replied, then all of Greece is not sufficient, for it is but a small fraction of their numbers. But if on men's valor, then this number will do. And so when Xerxes asked the Spartans to surrender their arms, the laconic reply was, come and take them. For four days, just the threat of tangling with the Spartans kept the Persians at bay. Sometime on August 18th, the assault began. Line after line of Persian soldiers was thrown against the phalanx of Greeks. There they clashed among the rocks, the Spartans fighting in lockstep, not just for their country, but as true heroes always do, for the man next to them. Toward the end of the first day, Xerxes ordered his most fearsome soldiers, the 10,000 immortals, into the breach. A Spartan remarked to Leonidas that the immortals were near. Leonidas reassured him, yes, and we are also near to them. To Xerxes' horror, rising three times in anguished impotence, even these troops were hurled back at great loss. As the first day bled into the second, Leonidas was not fooled by the victories he had won. He had always known, regardless of the hope of reinforcements, that this was a one-way mission. Yet he had come all the same. He was fighting for time. He was there to prove a point as well. His act of devotio was meant to call to the courage of the Greeks who wavered on whether to surrender or resist. They fought on the second day as brutal as the first. 
Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. You could say, right, the obstacle is the way I've always been a student of failure, of things that go wrong. It's so easy to celebrate things going right, but we can learn a lot from when it doesn't go right. Each week, David Duchovny chats with guests like Ben Stiller and Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalyst for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure. Fail better together. Fail better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. By the third day, it was clear that the Persians had found a way to attack from the rear. A warning came about the enemy's strength. Xerxes' archers would fire enough arrows to block out the sun. Then we shall fight in the shade, Leonidas said. Then he ordered his men to dine well because they were most likely to dine next in the afterworld. He attempted to select three injured men to return to Sparta with news, hoping secretly to spare their lives as well. To a man they rejected this golden ticket. I came with the army not to carry messages, but to fight, the first replied. The next, I should be a better man if I stayed here. The third, I will not be behind these, but first in the fight. With nothing left to say, the Spartans stood in silence. Who among them was not bearing wounds from the previous day's fighting? Who was not exhausted? Who was not thinking of their children, of the country they had left behind? By nine o'clock, the sun was up and the heat with it. They sweated in their armor. Their bodies coursed with whatever reserves of adrenaline and patriotism remained. They would never see Sparta or their families again. Leonidas gave the order to march forward. They stepped outside the protection of the rocky gates to meet the enemy in the open, inflicting extra damage as they took their final stand. The Persians hit them with a fury, whipped from behind by their slave drivers, backed by so many soldiers that they could afford to trample the wounded or fallen comrades as the endless waves of men followed one after another. The Spartans dispatched them methodically, as fiercely as before, at times even feigning to have broken ranks letting the Persians rush forward and then reforming to slaughter them. Each time a cry of exhilaration would go up. For this brief moment, uncommon valor was common virtue. The men passed beyond themselves, fighting and performing with almost otherworldly excellence. But the Spartans knew. They knew. This was it. They would not grow old. To a man they would fall and soon. Leonidas was killed in the middle of the final day, fulfilling a prophecy he had long believed, that a Spartan king would have to die lest Greece be destroyed by an invader. His men rushed out in one, two, three attempts to retrieve his body on the fourth they managed, then right back to the fight. Their spears broke off from use. No reinforcements came. Now the word spread through the ranks. It was time they retreated back to the gates. Here they fought with only their swords, and upon losing these, they resorted to their hands and teeth. Eventually, inevitably, they were overwhelmed. It had been three days of battle, plus the four before. They bought their country one week. It cost Xerxes countless men, but mostly time he did not have. More, it shook his confidence. How many more Spartans are there in Greece? He asked one of his advisors. Do they all fight like this? There are thousands more, came the reply. None are equal to these fallen men, but all are just as good at fighting. Greece also understood what was at stake. 
No one could deny the gesture the Spartans had made. No one could deny the call to do their part. Centuries later, Churchill remarked of the RAF's incredible defense of Britain during the Battle of Britain, that never before have so many owed so much to so few. This was not quite true, for even the stand of those few owes a debt first to the 300 Spartans. It's not a stretch to argue that all the accomplishments of Western civilization from the Renaissance to the American Revolution would not have happened were it not for the sacrifice at Thermopylae. And so those 300 soldiers who sacrificed, as the soldiers at Gettysburg did, as the RAF did, they became more than men. They became almost like gods. It's almost offensively cliché now to use the phrase, freedom isn't free. Nonetheless, it is true. Purchased there in the glorious defeat at Thermopylae were the victories that the Greeks were able to achieve at Salamis and Plataea. The Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the United Nations, all of it rooted there in the fight at the hot gates. The freedom that everyone loves, but so many tend to abuse. It was won there too by the fathers who fought side by side, knowing for certain that they would not live to see the fruits of their labor, just as the tree you sit under was planted long ago by a man or woman who cared about the future. Theirs was not to reason why, theirs was to do and to die. As the ancient inscription at the battlefield reads, Tell the Spartans, passerby, here obedient to her laws we lie. Their example of courage and selflessness stands eternal. None of them survived, yet they turned out to be far more immortal than the Persian troops who killed them. Gates of Fire, the epic historical novel of this battle by Stephen Pressfield, is today passed from soldier to soldier, person to person, as a kind of tribute to that example. The central question of that book is, what is the opposite of fear? It's not enough to simply conquer or quench fear. In writing the book, Pressfield wanted to know, as the Spartans did, what lay beyond it. If fear was the vice, what was the virtue? It's not just courage, because you can be courageous for selfish reasons. You have to override fear to jump out of an airplane, sure. But if you're doing it for fun, is it really that meaningful? It wasn't just the men and their arms that made feats at Thermopylae possible. It was also the wives who not only allowed their husbands to go, but whose courage and iron self-discipline was the backbone of the country. The toughness and selflessness of Spartan women is legendary. When one Spartan king was killed in a vicious coup, his mother rushed to his body, and when the killers offered to spare her if she kept quiet, she stood up and defied them. Her last words as she offered her neck was, May this only be in service of Sparta. We are mistaken to see the Spartans as mere warriors, just courageous fighters. As Pressfield concludes the opposite of fear, the true virtue contrasted with that vice was not fearlessness. The opposite of fear is love, he says. Love for one another, love for ideas, love for your country, love for the vulnerable and the weak, love for the next generation, love for all. Is that not what hits us in the solar plexus when we hear Leonidas's final tearful words to his wife as he leaves? Marry a good man who will treat you well, bear him children, and live a good life. And it is this profound, marrow-deep love that allows one to rise above the logic of self-preservation and achieve true greatness, whether that's shielding someone from a bullet, risking your job to speak out in defense of the common good, or fighting against all hope for a cause you know is right. Florence Nightingale cared tenderly for the suffering of the sick in her country. 
De Gaulle fought exasperatingly hard to preserve France. The Spartans at the hot gates were something beyond this, truly selfless, giving the most a person can possibly give. Sure, not all selflessness requires the ultimate sacrifice, but there is no selflessness without sacrifice. The sacrifice they made was incredible, all the more so because it had not been for themselves or their own people that they had made it. Leonidas could have survived if he chose. He and the Spartans could have ruled all of Greece. Nevertheless, he went and died so that all those other Greeks could be free, so that we could be free. If courage is rare, then this kind of heroism is a critically endangered species. If courage is by itself unreasonable, then love in this higher form, the truly selfless kind, is insane. It's baffling in its majesty. It is real human greatness. It is us transcending logic, self-interest, and millions of years of our own biology to find quarter, however briefly, in a higher realm. The Spartans are the heroes we recognize as the embodiment of that idea, but we should remember that they are stand-ins. They represent the anonymous courage of countless resistors for all time, for people who testified in trials and faced reprisals, people who registered to vote and were beaten for it, union organizers who went up against robber barons, pioneers who sent out rescue parties, athletes who played through career-ending injuries to keep their team in the game or their families fed. These were moments of true greatness of soul. What we're willing to give that full measure of our devotion to the effort, to the stranger, to what must be done, that's what takes us higher. That's what transforms us from brave to heroic. Maybe for a moment, maybe just to one person, maybe to be enshrined in the history books for all time. My new book, Courage is Calling, is now officially a New York Times bestseller. Thank you so much to everyone who supported the book. It it was literally and figuratively overwhelming. We signed almost 10,000 copies of the book, which just, you know, it, it hit me right here. And I appreciate it so much. If you haven't picked up a copy or you want to pick up a signed copy as a gift, please do. You can get your copy at dailystoic.com slash courage is calling, or you can just go to store.dailystoic.com. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Daily Stoic early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, (laughs) I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. And it's the best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.